Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, here I am. So Barb Higgins, a thousand tiny steps podcast number one. So as I begin this podcast, it's like 95 degrees and hot and sunny outside my favorite weather in the world. And I've created this little area for myself that's devoid of sound and interruption to create the podcast or to record it. So my first few episodes will be here. And as I get better at this, maybe I'll find a different place. I don't know. But it's really exciting to be doing this. I've done a bunch of Facebook Lives in the past, and I really enjoy the feedback I get there. But, you know, that's just on Facebook and, you know, a small number of people. And sometimes those are sort of what just pops into my head at the time. It's a really nice medium for communicating with people. But I'm a person that's had one of those crazy lives that, Really, if, if you read it in a book, you'd think one person could not have gone through all of these things. And so in the, in the last few months of my crazy life, lots and lots of people have asked, oh, you should write a book, tell your story. And I don't have the discipline to do these things, but I can talk. So here I am. I'm going to do a podcast or attempt it anyway. So I'm going to start by explaining the name of the podcast and why, and why I chose it. And before that, I'll explain who I am. So I'm Barb Higgins and I live in Concord, New Hampshire, and I've lived here almost my whole life. I had a nine-year stint in the greater Boston area. I went to college at BU and lived all around the Boston area and, you know, typical, you know, 21 year old, I'm never going home. And I moved home for a year in 1989 and here I am all these years later. So I grew up here. I was a skinny little asthmatic, pretty normal childhood, some, some, you know, some child abuse in my family. For the most part, I was loved and cared for well, but abusive situations stay with you forever. And as I get older and go through my life, I find the connections to how we as children manage ourselves emotionally in abusive situations. And those coping mechanisms stay with me today. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes not so much. I went to college at BU. I was a runner. I was the first high school girl in New Hampshire to break five minutes in the mile, which was a pretty significant event. The girl that came in second to me was a three-time Olympian. (laughs) So winning in high school doesn't always mean everything, but that was, you know, running was a life-changing event and it paved the way for a life that prior to that, I didn't even picture for myself. I was a division one All-American at BU, Boston University's first female division one All-American. Title IX had just been put into play my freshman year. You know, that was a big time for female athletes. Sometimes I look, think not much has changed when I look at the inequities between men and women's sports in college, but that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I ran for Nike. Uh, I had a, an incredible young adult, you know, late teens, early twenties, mid twenties life traveling and running and seeing wonderful places in the world as a member of the track and field community. My, one of my track coaches in, at BU was Joan Benoit Samuelson. She was the first Olympic gold medalist in the marathon for women. She won the first women's marathon in 1984 in Los Angeles. So I had that and overcoming asthma to become a good runner was a major, major accomplishment for me. I grew up, you know, really being told that I should avoid anything that got me out of breath because I'm asthmatic. And that sets the theme for my life, which is I have amazing, wonderful things that have happened to me. And almost always my greatest joys are tied to my greatest tragedies. It's like one or the other. I'm never just sort of down the middle of the road, living that sort of 
moderate, comfortable life. I can't remember a time in my life that <laughs> described it like that. So I went from college back here. I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. I taught for 21 years in the Concord School District. I teach at VLAX. I do that now. It's an online charter school. So I started as a special educator, and that stemmed from my brother, Jonathan, who was ADHD before anyone knew what that was growing up in the 70s and 80s. And I spent a long time teaching those hyperactive little boys. They're still my favorite, I'll tell you right now. Uh, a young boy attached to the ceiling is my favorite challenge as a teacher. So I've been a lifelong educator and also a coach. I coached cross country and track and field. I've coached at Simmons College in Newton and Woburn, Massachusetts, here in Concord and in Bow, New Hampshire. And it's something I love. It's just really, really fun to plan and put together and articulate and commiserate and create a wonderful experience for young girls. Later on in my career, I decided let's get out of special ed and I became a health educator. I had a master's in PE already, mainly adaptive PE. And my thoughts when I got the degree were to use it to help children with disabilities. You know, if, I, if I'm a special educator and PE comes and they can't do something either physically or mentally, that that would come in handy. And as my teaching career progressed, and the number of diagnosed autism cases increased. PE could be brutal for kids with those sensory issues. And so the degree came in really handy. It was nice. I switched to health and I taught health at Concord High School for seven years. And this, the name of my podcast comes into play in that regard. So when I taught health, well, actually, I'll, let me finish and then I'll get back to the name of the podcast. So seven years into teaching at Concord High School, 21 years into my career, I was very unceremoniously suspended and forced to resign from my teaching career. And it was nothing to do with teaching. I remember, you know, when you lose your job sort of to a forced resignation, you know, the Department of Education and all of this, the, you know, the sanctioning bodies want to know what happened. And I remember running into somebody that worked for the Department of Ed and them saying, oh, no, 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 you didn't do anything wrong as a teacher. It was purely political. And I remember thinking to myself that, you know, how, how horrible a society do we live in where you can have a wonderful teacher? And, and I can say that and not blow myself up in the head. I'm a good teacher. It's just what I'm good at. It's what I'm meant to do. And I never, ever, ever didn't want to go to work. I loved it always. And I still do. So, so I spoke out against a building demolition and I had a couple of enemies. Uh, I'm very good at creating enemies. We'll get to that as well. And so I, I lost my job. I resigned and that was 2011. And so that's when the VLAX came in. It was at that time that running became very painful for me emotionally. I, I wasn't coaching anymore. One of my very, very favorite athletes was the daughter of one of the administrators that was involved in my setup and forced resignation. So I lost so much at that time. And part of what made me better and heal as I went through all of that was CrossFit. I joined a CrossFit gym. So many of you have probably heard of CrossFit. It has, it gets a bad rap sometimes because what you see on TV is the competitive CrossFit games and these crazy athletes with muscles everywhere. And you know what? That's right. That is one element of CrossFit. And that was very prevalent when I first joined. I'm a very competitive person. I, I, I don't do anything without finding a way to compete in it. So I joined a CrossFit gym and met some coaches and some people changed my life and CrossFit changed my life. I, I was in my mid forties when I joined and I can remember Molly and Gracie, my daughters, just being all wrapped up in the CrossFit as well. CrossFit was a big part of what healed me from my job loss. It was a community that was accepting. And, you know, I've always been somebody that finds great emotional comfort in movement, in exercise in running and swimming and skiing. I'm not someone that can sit still. If I could deliver this podcast on a rowing machine, I probably would. And maybe I will one day. So to backtrack a bit from there, I met and married Kenny. I met him in 1996 and married him in 2000. 
And we have Gracie and Molly. Gracie is 20 right now and Molly would be 18. But shortly after my job loss, well, not shortly, I lost my job in 2011, rebuilt my life. And in 2016, I lost Molly. She died of a ruptured brain tumor that doctors didn't find until it had already killed her. So it was one of those horrifying experiences that you can't, you can't believe is true. During that time, my personal life had, my personal life took a very big hit with the job loss. And I had really dove in to help a family, you know, as my marriage sort of disintegrated and without getting into personal embarrassing things, I had a whole lot of things going on here at home. And then, so I met someone with whom I began a long relationship with and on and off committed to being married, divorced in 2014, separated apart, separated apart, very, very tumultuous time. And I share all this because, you know, I think sometimes we see the, the pretty parts. Social media creates these happy families and happy people. And, and I have a lot of happiness in my life, but I am as <laughs> crazy and, you know, working hard and trying to do the right thing and failing miserably much of the time as anybody else. So in the, in the years after losing my job and trying to decide, you know, do what do I do with my life and how do I fix it? And how do I support my children and pay the bills? And, and how do I stay healthy? CrossFit came into play and I began timing road races and doing a whole, a whole lot of great piece together part-time jobs. And life was pretty good. Personally, it was very, very, very tricky. At the time of Molly's death, Kenny and I were living apart. So we, we got an apartment and we, we flip-flopped. You know, Kenny would live in the apartment for a week and I'd live here and then we'd switch. And Molly and Gracie had a very seamless and smooth life because we were never here at the same time, but we were both here all the time. Kenny was still on dialysis at that time. So I would come when he was there, even if it was my week to be at the apartment and I'm on the school board and, you know, which is another piece of my school story. So, so the good part of, of how we managed our separation was that we were able to keep our kids relatively solid and happy. So now it's 2016 and Molly dies. I went away on a vacation to Amsterdam with the person that I was so in love with at the time, Roy, we went to Amsterdam for a week and not knowing it would be the last week of Molly's life. That was hard. That whole vacation was hard. It was just tumultuous times. Kenny and the girls were desperate for me to stay home. And, and, you know, it was a decision I made at the time and sharing it here in such a public venue feels a bit funny to me, but it's not secret. It's, you know, nothing, nothing that happened at, at that time could be private because Molly was such a public person and Molly's death was, was felt community-wide and statewide and perhaps worldwide in some levels. She was 13 at the time. So I come back from Amsterdam and there's unconscious Molly and Molly never wakes up. And so in the process of trying to do what was right at the time, my family was blown up. I compare it a lot to, you know, there's an earthquake and all the buildings crumble. There you are sitting in a pile of rubble and everyone comes to help you. And then the rubble settles and the dust settles, but nothing is fixed, but there's a new earthquake somewhere else and everyone off goes, there they go. So at the time of not knowing what to do with my decimated family, I chose to stay. I, I realized that where I needed to be with Kenny and I needed to be with Gracie and I needed to see would everything be fine. And so that's what I did. The two and a half years after Molly's death, and I'll get into much more detail later on in the podcast, I'll talk specifically about these things. But during that time, it was a time of a lot of alcohol and drug use. It was a time of not knowing what to do, not being able to work, not functioning, really, really struggling. I, you know, I wasn't teaching at VLAX anymore. I couldn't do much. And during that time, the idea in my head came to have a baby, which is the main driving force behind starting the podcast. I'm that 58-year-old woman that had the baby. And so, 
you know, that was 2016 that all of that was set in motion and the doctor's appointments and the visits and can I do it and trying and failing and what do I do next and all. In those five years, there was a kidney transplant for Kenny, finding brain tumors in my head for me, you know, reconnecting with people in my life that I thought I would never see again, realizing others were gone forever. A good friend, family friend, a dance family that we didn't know that well, lost a daughter right around the same time of year that Molly died, three years after Molly's death. We are obviously very, very close now. And there's so, some miraculous connections there. And so, you know, when I look back, and so now here I am, 2021 with a five-month-old baby. And this, this in and of itself is a miraculous, maybe perhaps a bit crazy you know, happening. So I've also had lots and lots of interest. Jack and I were on TV quite a bit right after he was born. And all that, all that TV coverage can bring its own set of stressors and, and cause hurt and pain. And, and all the people involved in my life, family, friends, you know, people from my past, people I don't know, you know, there's people, everyone's affected by it. And you know that ripple effect, you drop a little pebble in the water and the ripples go all the way across the lake. And I think sometimes we don't realize how much our actions affect people, good and bad. Molly was that way. And Jack is that way. I do feel in, in the wake of Jack's birth that he, for the most part, gives people hope. And my purpose for having the podcast is to take 30 or 40 minutes you know, every week to give people a chance to you know, listen to me or watch me while they're driving or, well, maybe not watch me while you're driving, but you know, doing the dishes or, you know, sitting in the yard, enjoying the sun. And oh, I think I'll listen to Barb's story today. And just through sharing what I've gone through, which, which I will be very honest, some of you, as you listen, will just shake your head and think this can't be one person. And others of you will be like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> I told her 10 years ago to write a book. And so my purpose here is not only to share the details of Jack and, and how he got here, but to really contemplate why he's here. I was speaking in a Zoom call yesterday with a TV producer and there's gonna be some follow-up to Jack's birth. And you know, I, I was expecting all of the 58 year old lady has a baby and all those technical questions and, and sort of the judgmental questions around why on earth would a 58 year old woman have a baby? And that's the question. That's what this producer really, really focused in on. She realized that for me to make this decision, I have, I have children. It's not that I couldn't get pregnant and have children, I have them. I lost a child. I've lost two actually, and we'll talk more about that. You know, I'm healthy and physically fit. I like to travel. I'm successful in my jobs, up and down, up and down. I'm involved in my community. You know, so what, what happened in your life to make you think at 57, having a baby was a good idea? And that is a million dollar question. Which, which feeds in nicely to the title of my podcast, A Thousand Tiny Steps. So back when I taught health at Concord High School, you know, it was a one quarter class, not enough time at all to teach what we were teaching. But the culminating unit was that the relationships, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, all of the things that, you know, kids really want the answers to and are tricky to teach because, you know, there's guidelines to follow and such. And I'm not afraid to speak my mind. I'm not afraid to say the words, but I used to do a lesson. I did two lessons that were significant. And the first one was called 50 shades of gray. And once that book came out, I can't, can't use that title for the lesson anymore, but that one was essentially all of the desks in my classroom were gray. The tops were gray. The seats were sort of a blue color but not one desktop was the exact same color. It was all of them. They must've been ordered at different times or it was a different lot number. I don't know what was in the plastic that made them different, but they were different. So I'd have the students line them up lightest to darkest. And then we would talk about how here's white and then the gray, the gray, the gray, the gray, the gray, the dark, the dark, the dark, here's black. And so many people think life is black and white, but look at all the space between the black and the white, all the different shades of gray and how 
so much of life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the decisions we make, what happens to us, how we react, exists in a very, very gray area. You know, there isn't a manual. You study the driver's manual, you pass the test, you get your license. Nothing about life it can exist in one manual because the manual changes based on what happens next. So that was one lesson, but the other was called A Thousand Tiny Steps. And, and I would preface it, my favorite one was, was to say, how many of you woke up this morning and thought, ah, I think I'll get pregnant or I think I'll knock up my girlfriend? You know, when they'd look at me and they'd laugh and somebody would raise their hand to be funny. And, and I would say, okay, well, let me ask something else. How many of you think your dad or your mom woke up this morning and thought, I'm going to get shit-faced today and run over my neighbor's kid with my car? You know, and then it would get real silent. And, and no, nobody raised their hand and that one was never funny, you know? And, and I'd use all different examples, drug examples, alcohol. I think, I'll, I think I'm going to rape someone today. You know, wake up a rapist. All of those things. Or I think I'll win a gold medal today. Well, nobody wins the gold medal the day they decide to win it. So I would say to them, there were a thousand tiny steps that got you to the gold medal, to the crime you committed, to the pregnancy you were part of, to the STD you caught, to the person run over by a drunk driver. All of these things happen, but they don't happen in an instant. And my challenge for my students was always, see if you can walk backwards and see where the steps started that got you here. Everyone can trace steps to something, something positive, you know, meeting your fiance. Oh, well, I went to this party and then I saw this person and I, and I did this and I did that. And then I met her and then we did this and here we are. Those steps are super easy to trace because everything is positive and they stay in our memory in a way that, that is sort of logical. Ask an Olympic gold medalist to go back a thousand steps and you'll hear every workout and the dietary changes and the financial sacrifices and you know choosing the college and all the things that go into a professional career. Those, those steps are so easy for people to keep track of and to share. And so I tried to apply that with my students to the tragedies. And so here I am, I start to run and I'm an amazing at runner, a runner. And how did I get there? You know, I walk those steps backwards and it's, you know, having a teacher that was the track coach that I connected with that got me to join the track team. And then the head coach took a liking to me. And, and so I stayed, you know, all, you know, and here I am years later, a division one, all American. So for me, those steps are easy and enjoyable to trace. The last thing I wanted to do <laughs> on May 7th, 2016, when I unplugged Molly from life support was walk backwards, those thousand tiny steps but I have to, I had to. Sometimes retracing your steps shows you where you took the wrong turn or the right turn. You can make yourself better. You can help someone else. And so I, I apply the thousand tiny steps all the time. Another example I used was falling through the ice. You know, you see a pond and it's covered with ice and you really want to walk out there because there's nothing better than a frozen pond in the winter. If you grew up in New England, you know what I mean. So you take some steps and you stand and the ice is safe. Okay, I'm safe. And you take a couple of more and you're still safe. And you take a couple of more and you're still safe and you inch your way out across the pond. And then suddenly you see, oh, I took a step and oh, I sink a little bit. It's a little mushy here. And then you take another step and it cracks. So a logical person would be, okay, this is as far as I can go. I better back up. But there's always, there's always those people and I'm one of them. It's like running out of gas with your car. Oh, I'll make it. You take the next step and boom, you fall through the ice. So you didn't run and jump with a parachute and sink into the middle of the lake. No, what you did was you inched your way out. You took a bunch of little steps and poof, you fell through the ice. Or you took a bunch of little steps. You saw that the ice was unsafe and you backed up. So my podcast, A Thousand Tiny Steps, I'll use my life, my joys and my tragedies 
to retrace steps for you so that you can listen and, and either just listen and say that was fun to listen to and forget about the steps. Or hopefully if you're struggling, if you're a struggling mother, I have a lot of child loss mothers that I hope my, my honesty and stories will help. You know, I'm a 57 year old mother. I had a baby. So all of the women out there that want to have babies, my hope is that by looking at me and my struggles and the people I've met along the way and the things that have happened, that this podcast will become an interesting and fun way to, to self-examine your own life. When I listen to podcasts or I watch, you know, little self-help videos or, you know, there's so much on the internet now. When I was nursing Gracie and Molly, the internet wasn't like it is now. That was 20 years ago. I'd watch TV all the time, TV, TV, TV. You know, we have TVs in every house here, in every room. I don't really know why, but we do. And this time around, when I'm, when I'm nursing Jack-Jack or when I can't sleep at night, I'm not even scrolling Facebook so much anymore. I'm really, really looking and listening to other people's experiences. And here's what I've noticed. Many, many podcasts are famous people and they, they come on and they tell their stories about their trials and tribulations. And I love hearing that these people struggle, but at the end of the day, they're multimillionaire famous people, you know, who, who don't have to worry about a lot of the things regular people have to worry about. And I noticed that a lot of their guests are other famous people and that's wonderful. And, and probably the thing I love most about it is that they're using their fame to be helpful. They know that we'll listen because we recognize their name. My Mbalik does a great podcast and, it, and I've listened, I listen to hers all the time, but again, it's a lot of famous people, but what's great about her is she's a bit self-deprecating and she's not afraid to bring it up and talk about it and say it like it is. And so I really like her podcasts. I've listened to some others. Glennon Doyle. We all know who Glennon Doyle is. I love her books. I like reading her better than listening. Does that mean you shouldn't listen to Glennon Doyle? Oh, heck no. She has so much to say. But what's terrific is there are tons of people I know that love to listen to Glennon's podcasts. Just the spacey way that I am, I can't get sucked in like I can with her writing. I've read all of her books and I read them in one sitting because because she speaks to me. So I also have always often liked to write and be a writer. So a couple of other things I'll share about myself in this, in the, you know, so you so, can sort of get to know whether or not my podcast is something that will interest you. I have little fear standing up and speaking in front of people. I think sometimes I'm an introvert. Maybe I'm an ambivert. I'm a little bit of both, but I love to talk and I love to speak. I also really love to write, I, but I have a hard time following through. I can sit down and write an 1100 word article First, I don't even need a rough draft. I can write it, fix the spelling and punctuation, and there it is. I have a hard time following through and being consistent. I've, I've started many 30-day blog challenges, and I'm done at day 13. So I really wanted to write a book about Molly. I'd like to write a book about Jack. I'd like to write a book about my high school experiences. I have, I have amazing stories to tell that would be much easier to write and let people <laughs> read without watching me talk about them. But that's just doesn't seem to be my nature. So I read a really good book and I was going to have it right here with me so I could give the author props, but of course it's downstairs on the kitchen table. But it's basically who, not how is the name of the book. And it really, really, if you can't do something, find someone that can do it and that can, so you can do what you can do. So one of my big inspirations, and she has a blog site as well as Karen Kenny, and her blog is called the Karen Kenny show. And she's been my spiritual mentor. I'm not, we're not mentoring together right now, but I do belong. She has a group called the Nest Online, like a support group or a mentoring group, not support. It's not a support group. I take that back. At any rate, she is phenomenal. And, and I got a lot out of working with her 
over the years as a spiritual mentor. And she has a lot of guests on and she is writing a book about her mother. She, you know, her mother died when she was, when, when KK was 13 and she was murdered and it was tragic and it's been very, very cathartic for KK. And she's spent years writing this book and God bless her. I think I would have given up a long time ago. So I remember listening to her in many of our meetings, talk about writing the book and what she was going through and how the process was helping her. And I really, I should write a book. I should write a book. And then I don't, you know, because I don't, I write a blog post. I have a hard time keeping a diary. I have a bookshelf I'm looking at and one whole shelf is diaries that I've started. And then I get, you know, halfway through and I don't finish. And then I buy a new one because it's got a pretty color on the page or it's pink or I don't know, it fits in my backpack. So one of Karen's podcasts was with somebody that talked about if there's something that you want done, but you can't do part of it, instead of learning how to do it, find someone that knows how to do it so that your goal can be completed. So for example, if I want to run a five minute mile, I can't have someone else run it for me, but I can find a really good coach and that will, that will discipline me and train me and keep me on track so that I can run the five minute mile. So in creating this podcast and telling Molly's story, because my daughter Molly has a story that is worthy of telling as well. I've done two things. So the first thing I did about a year ago is I hired an author, this wonderful woman named Virginia McGregor. She's from England. She lives here now in Concord. I met her about a year after she moved here, about a year after Molly died. Her sweet daughter dances with, you know, dances at the same dance school. And she's, she's published seven books. Her recent one, I'll give her a little plug, is called The Children's Secret. And it's the first book she's written that takes place here in the United States. Her other books take place in Europe. So we met and had an instant connection and circumstances laid things out in such a way that I hired her to help me write a memoir, to help me write Molly's story. So she's done the writing. We have spent the last year talking and interviewing and recording and, and, and going over memories and reading medical reports and really just delving into Molly and watching what she does and how she operates and how much time she spends on these very minute details and putting it together and writing it and going back and editing. I realized that that if, if and when I am ever actually able to write a book, I will have to develop a lot more discipline and, and a set of skills that I do not yet have. So I have Virginia and Virginia is ghostwriting my memoir for me. And we've worked together and I've learned a ton. So I got the who, I got Virginia and the book will become, the book is finished. So we're in the very, very early phases of sending it to publishers and hoping that it gets published. So that's my, my first who. <laughs> my second who is my podcast editor. So now that I've spent the last two months getting ready for this moment, I realized that had I tried to do this myself, I would not be sitting here right now. I wouldn't be in this little teeny tiny room that was supposed to be a nursery, but no baby has ever slept here in this little corner that looks really nice behind me. All these little things on the wall and a picture of Molly there and her quote and everything. looks like I have this nice little office, doesn't it? No, no. I'm surrounded by piles of clothing and boxes and an old lamp and, you know, toys from 20 years ago. So, but I'm sitting here and I'm recording a podcast. And so my podcast editor is Jace Frizzell, and he is just starting out in the podcast ed editing industry. And here I am. I would, I feel in, in disingenuous if I, did, if I didn't say that if something, if this is something you want to do, you have a story to tell and you feel completely unable to do it find people in your life that you know. I've known, I knew Virginia before I thought to ask her to ghostwrite my book. I knew Jace before, well, he, he, I was just online one day and I saw that he was doing this and I thought, oh, okay, universe, I get the hint and he's phenomenal. So I have two who's that are doing all of the back work for me, the technical stuff, the organizing, the, the keeping me on, on task, all of the things that prevent me 
much in my life from getting to this point, sitting in front of a camera with this external microphone over here, praying that when I'm done with this, I'm not just watching myself talk in silence. And then, and then of course, I would have to also include Karen Kenny. When I began spiritual mentoring, it was up two and a half years ago. Oh, three years ago, actually, 2018. I was nowhere near, I couldn't have, I, as, as much as I love to talk, sitting in front of people and having a cohesive conversation probably still wouldn't have been able to happen. But she's been a big piece of the backside for me, the backstory, and getting me to a point where I can be solid spiritually and emotionally to do these things. So here I am, you know, sharing with you, I think, you know, sharing with you my, my thousand tiny steps and how I got here. In the past, I have a blog, I have a blog site, like a WordPress site, called a thousand tiny steps. And, and I have lots and lots of articles. I've written articles for patch. I've written for the conquered monitor. You know, I've done a lot of writing. If you want, if you Google my name, you would find those things and you could, you could read lots and lots. I've written about CrossFit. I've written about, written about Molly. I've done, you know, 30 days of thanks. I've written, I wrote extensive articles about my job loss, but I haven't written about, you know, really I haven't written about the, the, the weight of loss and grief and, and how much you lose when you lose a child in looking at my target audience, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I think my target audience would be anyone that gives a crap about what I have to say, but I do know that as a 58 year old woman going through what I've gone through, my best friends right now are my, my mothers that have lost children. It's not that people that haven't lost children aren't incredibly close and supportive to me, but if I'm having a feeling, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad Molly day. People that haven't lost a child try to cheer me up. No, no, be happy. She lived a good life, you know, which is true. She did live a good life and she would want me to be happy. But in, in a moment where her death throat punches me, being told to be happy is the last thing I want to hear. I just want someone to know how I feel. And my grief moms, their first comment is, I'm right there with you, sweetie. That was me yesterday. Oh my gosh, me too. You know, I hate that feeling, you know, let it flow think of your girl, you know, so, so it's probably the advice isn't much different, but the framework of the, of the phrases and the words of support are vastly different. And I know they get it. I had someone the other day, I think it was my hairdresser when we were talking and, you know, she says, well, sometimes I don't want to bring things up because I don't want to reopen a wound. So I get it. If you, <laughs> if you break your leg and you have an operation, eventually the wound closes. So re-breaking your leg would cut the wound, wound open. I get it. But with child loss, with Molly's death, that's a wound that can't be reopened because it will never be closed. She will always be a child that died. And so talking about the dead child is actually what keeps the wound from getting infected. And I don't know if that makes sense. I know all my grief moms will get it. Yes, yes, that's true. And so, so a podcast is a way that I can talk about Molly and share how much I lost the day that she died, not just her so many things, so many things disappeared. People, a future that I thought about that I thought was going to be, you know, comfort, the ability to sleep <laughs> in my journey, in all of my steps, those things get analyzed as well. So having said all of this, <laughs> where am I going to go from here? Well, so how my podcast will work. And I've looked and looked and looked, and a lot of podcasts are just random. There's just, there's no sort of season one, season two. There are lots of episodes. Um, KK's done you know, she's almost up to 200 episodes, I think uh, a lot, well over a hundred and hers aren't, aren't chunked together by topic. The topics are ranged from everything and it makes sense for her. She's, she has a very active, constantly alive 
life where she's where, where she's mentoring people. So her it's constantly changing and it's very dynamic. I'm not using the podcast to, to supplement or support something that's active and alive like that. I teach at VLAX right now. This podcast has nothing to do with my teaching career. I've just published a book. The, the, the only connection there is that I want people to say, oh, that's Barb Higgins. Oh, she's the one that wrote the book. So my podcast will hopefully get my story out there so that people that, that want to be helped by what I've gone through have that opportunity. So I'm going to do seasons. And right now, the reason people know who I am is because of Jack. I'm that 58-year-old mommy. I was at a CrossFit workout this morning in Amesbury and Massachusetts, by the way, for those of you that live in Connecticut or, or, or California. And I go to this class for moms and this gym is phenomenal in its approach to family. And this mom fit class, it's moms, but they bring their kids and their kids aren't over with some babysitter somewhere. They're right in the thick of it with us. So you have to be careful. You know, you're working with weights and things like that, but it's, it's just as someone that loves children and that wants my child and children to know that I'm an athlete and that as a female, I can do a lot of things that lots of moms don't think they can. I love the class. And so today I was talking to this wonderful woman and she has a sweet, sweet daughter. Their daughter is, is not very verbal right now. She's got some developmental delays and she's beautiful. And so we spent some time chatting and I was changing Jack and chatting and we don't know one another very well. So I made a comment about losing Molly and Jack being my son. And she just stopped and looked at me and she's like, he's your baby. And she had no idea because we had only ever been in that class together once or twice. She, she was just taken aback by that. And she's like, oh my gosh, I have a million questions. Well, hopefully my, you know, listening to a podcast of mine will answer some of her questions, but it was such a phenomenal response. So I find that mothers respond really, really well. And it's the Jack Jack piece. So the first several episodes, which we'll call season one, but right now I think it'll probably be like maybe eight to 10 episodes will really center around Jack. But can I spend eight 45 minute segments telling the story of Jack? Yes, I can, because there's always a lot more to the story than Jack, but it will pull in, it will pull into play a lot of things, which will then lead into what my next season of podcast would be about. So the reason I'm doing it this way is if this is a successful venture for me and two years down the road, I, I meet somebody that's struggling with fertility, I can say, hey, go listen to season one of my podcasts and there'll be a cohesive group of episodes all together, one after the other, that address Jack, fertility, infertility, having babies old, child loss, what, what defines a family, what defines a child, what defines a parent, all of those things will be together and it will be sort of an easier podcast to navigate. My thoughts right now going into it is that season two would be a lot about Molly. The connection between Jack and Molly is profound and it's not the way that you think. My naysayers are quick to say that I've replaced Molly with Jack. You can't replace a child. Your second child doesn't replace the first one that you still have. Now you have two. And a child in heaven is no different. A, a new alive child, a rainbow baby, doesn't replace the one that's missing. It certainly adds to the dynamic of the family. And I will be honest and say that having Jack here has put happiness into my face that hasn't existed since Molly's death. Does that mean I'm not sad about Molly anymore? No. It just means I have this beautiful little pudgy vehicle for joy that we call Jack. So that's how my, my podcast will run at this point. That's how I'm, I'm managing it. And this, were, this is where I have to thank my editor because, you know, I don't even know how to, this is where I struggle in everything in my life. I have a hard time following through on the organizational piece. You know, make your bed every day. Well, I'm good for about two weeks and then I just stop making my bed. So maybe at 58, none of these things will change. I don't know, but I hope they do. And I hope that in the process of sharing myself and my story and the stories of all the people involved that somebody out there will say, oh my gosh, yes, I get that. Or, 
I never thought of it that way. Or, oh my God, I'm not the only one that feels this way. And those are the things that I get when I listen. One of my, one of my favorite things to do online now is go to my grief groups. And a lot of people think support groups like that are negative because they keep you in the sad, you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not kept in the sad by this. I just find such camaraderie. And, and when I'm reading about someone else's struggle, my favorite thing to do when I see a mother having a really profound struggle that I, that I had is to say, Hey, first of all, I get it. Second of all, I'm going to share my example that matches you. Third of all, I love you and I'm sorry. And, and we have these amazing connections where, where I read somebody else's story and I feel better about my own. So does misery love company in the world of dead children? Yes. Not because we want anyone else to be miserable, but because we finally found somebody who understands us. I'll be talking a lot about Jack's namesake, a little boy, Jack, who's in heaven and his mother, Brandy, and, and how phenomenal she's been in my recovery. So there's lots to come, but I will say the first several episodes will really focus around Jack and Molly, which means, of course, they'll focus around Gracie and my first baby, Gordon, who I lost 26 weeks into making him. He had a heart defect. So all of my children, all four of them, two that live here and two that live there, will come into play in the first, I would say, 20 or so episodes of this podcast. So right now, as I said, I'm sitting in this, in this little room. It's like a walkthrough bedroom. I have a New Englander, classic New England house where the rooms are one behind the other. So you can't, if you want to get to the front of the house from the back of the house, you have to walk through this room. So it couldn't really be anyone's bedroom because people would be going through it all the time. So when, when I first moved here, I put a crib in it and made a little nursery and we're a family bed family and no one ever slept in the crib. So it's been, it's been sort of a storage room. It's been a playroom for a while. It was a little like library type guest room for a while. And since Molly's death, it's just been a room that we throw stuff in that we dare not throw away. So I've carved out this little corner here to do my podcast. And I don't know that I'll stay here forever, but I do want to do a little, I want to do some fun things. When I've listened to other podcasts, oftentimes there's some little fun thing, podcast to podcast. So I think I'm going to have something behind me that's different each time. So this is my first podcast. So if you can't see me behind me, you can see the slope of the roof where the, where the ceiling goes down and there's a dormer, the walls are yellow. I have a Christmas cactus plant that was at coach Ludie's house sort of behind that. It's, and it sits on a desk that belonged to coach Ludie. And you'll learn who he is as well. As we go along, I have a picture of Gracie and Molly in a dance competition. I have this beautiful painting and I bought it in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If you're an art person, go to Portsmouth. There's galleries and shops and it's a wonderful place. And it's a local artist. And it's a picture of, turn around and look at it. It's a, it's a door into an old building that I, I perceive to be a church because the it's arced at the top, you know, it arcs up to a point and there's glass above the door, but the door isn't used. There's flowers in front of it and all this ungrown, you know, unmowed grass and it, the building needs painting. It's clapboard. And next to that, and that I was with a really good friend of mine when I bought that. So that brings that brings that piece of my life into my podcast room here. Next to that is a Toni Morrison quote. So she's an author that I love. She writes about women, writes about conflict. You know, she's, she's such a deep thinker and writes painful, painful books. But I've never read a book of hers that didn't help me in some profound way. My author friend, Virginia McGregor, gave this to me as a gift. And it says, you are, you are your best thing. And so when you're me and, you, <laughs> and your life is followed by guilt, <laughs> which as an adult child of child abuse, you know, abuse can make you feel guilty. What did I do wrong? Why did this happen to me? You know, and there's a lot of, you know, I, I'm, I'm neither Catholic nor Jewish. And I, I, I preface that by saying, I'm not saying anything bad about either of those religions. Actually, they're both very beautiful religions, but sometimes religion and guilt are tied together. You feel guilty and you have to go and get rid of your guilt, but I have a, a ton of it. And so I love that quote because 
it's a good reminder that when I'm really feeling crappy about myself, I'm just my best thing. All I have is me. So below that, I have this little bookshelf and all you can see on the bookshelf is a picture of Molly holding a violin. And the photographer is a friend of mine, her, whose daughter was a good friend of Molly's, Erin. And she does a lot of my photography. She's amazing. And then next to it is, and I'll hold this up for those of you that can see, it's Molly's quote. And of course it's probably backwards, but two days or so before Molly died, she changed her Instagram bio from like, you know, Molly's balls, I'm so cool, that kind of thing to this quote. And it says, do you think you have a purpose? If so, what? I think mine is to make people happy. Does that make you happy? Yes, purpose fulfilled, Molly Banzoff. So this has become a dynamic piece of her legacy. People use it. I have prints made of it. I have the painting there. Miss Christina, Christina Cummings, customized by Christina. She's a wonderful artist. She sells very, very personal things and she paints these for me. And so this, this has been the motivating force behind the Molly B Foundation. So this, this quote and Molly is a big piece of my inspiration. And I'm hoping as I move forward in grief, so I'm at five and a half years now, almost five and a half maybe, almost five and a half years. And I remember sitting in the room with the doctors at Dartmouth-Hitchcock when we found out she would never wake up. And this one doctor saying, give yourself five years, minimum. Do not push yourself. Do not expect anything to seem remotely normal for five years. And I remember sitting there, you know, five minutes into this nightmare and just thinking, five, how am I going to live five years? But here I am five and a half years later, and, and it doesn't feel blasphemous to honor Molly in a way that brings joy rather than tragedy and heartache. It's just a difficult place to get to as a mother. Those of you that haven't lost a child and you don't quite know what I mean, be glad you don't know what I mean. Take a big breath and say, thank you, God. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. I mean, for those of you that have lost a child, you know what exactly what I mean. And if you're not there yet, don't push it. Your time is your time. And this is another thing that I have found in my grief is that, you know, the world unfolds as it's supposed to. So that's that. This is my little room. So when I do episode two and, you know, two through eight or nine, I, I think I'll really dive into Jack-Jack and sort of what brought me to him and what, it, what it's like. And I will say he is one of those babies that just commands attention. He's got this adorable face and these giant eyes that remind me of Molly all the time. So in closing, you know, I don't, I don't have a sort of, I'm not into this enough yet to have a, like a little closing prayer or poem or comment or whatever, but I will say that, you know, that happiness, happy, you know, the pursuit of happiness is part of our, you know, constitution and declaration of independence. You know, our, our founding fathers wanted us to be able to pursue happiness, pursuing happiness and being happy are two different things, but they both are happy things. And Molly's quote about making people happy speaks to how, how hard she worked to bring comfort and joy to people in her life. So I guess if I have to end this podcast in any, any consistent way, episode to episode, it would be, you know, do something that brings happiness to someone today, especially do something that brings happiness to yourself. I always use, always use that analogy, talking really fast, by the way, I talk really fast. So I always use the analogy that when you're in an airplane, the flight attendants tell you to put your own oxygen on first, because you can't save your child or the person next to you if you can't breathe. I have a hard time following this advice. I give it beautifully, but I have a hard time following it. I will always end by saying, do something good for yourself today. Even if you, even if you just look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. <laughs> and if you can bring happiness to someone else, that's easy as well. Another huge piece of my story is a girl named Rachel Hunger. That's Molly's dance friend that passed away three years, almost to the day that she did. And she was a firm believer that doing small things were life's miracles. Being the miracle doesn't mean you, you know, create a cure for cancer. Being the miracle is holding the door open for somebody 
or donating blood or, you know, just doing good things. I have this tattoo in my arm and it's a, it's a hashtag heart Molly be the miracle. And I put Molly and Rachel together. And so she's a driving force in everything that I do as well. And her connection to Molly and the similarities in their stories remind me that sometimes the story in the picture is much bigger than us. I hope this isn't the only podcast you ever watch. I hope because I hired an excellent editor that (laughs) I have a nice podcast career ahead of me. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this one. So have a great day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.